If you're a founder, you know that fundraising is a big part of the job. What you might not know is that Carta is there to help. Carta's new fundraising suite provides startups of all stages the best tools and support to easily issue safes, accurately forecast solution, and quickly close funding rounds. Save time, money, and make your next round your best yet. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Welcome to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnVest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with a top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everybody. I'm Alexa Von Tobel, your host of The Founders Project. And this week, I want you to meet Brian Murphy, CEO of Breather, the startup providing private, flexible workspaces with hundreds of locations around the globe. Brian started his entrepreneurial career as the co-founder and CEO of WHI Solutions, a $2 billion B2B SaaS platform that got acquired by eBay in 2012. He went on to serve in key leadership roles at eBay and then Serta before joining Breather in 2018. He's a phenomenal serial entrepreneur, and I'm excited to welcome him. Hi, Brian. Hey, how are you? Great to, great to be here today. So happy to have you. Um, I want to just kind of dive right in. Um, so for those who maybe haven't heard of Breather, I know I have actually worked out of a breather, so I know it very well, um, and I'm a, a huge fan of what you're building. I want to hear a little bit about uh, what Breather is in your own words and how Breather is doing. Sure. So Breather provides frictionless access to private, productive office and meeting space on flexible terms. So you can think about it. Uh, we'll, we'll offer our spaces. You can use our spaces by the hour, by the day, the week, or the month. And we make finding and getting access to hundreds of private workspaces around the world uh, as easy as booking an Uber. So Breather was founded in 2013, and you joined the company as CEO just last year. What sold you on the opportunity? What made you decide after obviously having a tremendous exit to eBay uh, that this was the right move for you? Sure. So when I think about getting involved with companies, the first thing I do is I look at the market. And office commercial real estate is a trillion-dollar market. It's one of the largest addressable markets that I've ever seen. And it's one of the last that are still doing business the same way that it's done for the past 100 years or so. Like software moving to software as a service, IT infrastructure moving to the cloud, and transportation to rideshare, commercial real estate is in the early stages of a significant transformation to flexible. So you can think about it this way. Companies, particularly with dynamic office needs, they don't want traditional seven, 10-year leases. They want and need flexible solutions for their IT infrastructure or for their software. So I want to, and I have a hundred questions, especially given COVID and how our entire work life is changing and what that means for Breather. And I'm going to get there in a moment, but I just want to go back to the early days. So Breather was often described as Uber for space, Airbnb for offices. Tell us how the use case of Breather has evolved and what are, again, pre-COVID, because uh, we'll come to post-COVID, because I think all of us are probably dying to think about your predictions of how the world's evolving and how we'll think about commercial office space uh, coming out of this. But pre-COVID, um, what had Breather evolved into and what was really working and thriving about Breather? The founders of Breather started actually, they were folks that, that hated offices. <laughs> so they, they started Breather um, really for, for smaller one-off meetings or for people just to go 
get a breather. And that's where the name actually came from. And as it evolved, companies started coming to it and say, hey, listen, this is really great space. We would like to use it for team offsites and training workshops. So the space has got a little bit bigger. And then in 2018, customers came and said, once again, beautiful space, really well serviced. We love the product. What we really want to use it for is private office space and on flexible terms. And so in 2018, the business really began its pivot to reinvent Breather as, a, as an office, as a flexible office provider servicing the trillion dollar commercial office. Got it. That's so helpful. And as I said, at Inspired Capital, uh, we stood up our uh, entire firm out of a breather. So I had a wonderful experience um, being able to just juggle the flexibility of, of being in one. So I, I think as a as a customer, that's one of the reasons why I was so excited uh, to, to have you on this podcast. Um, I want to just quickly transition to COVID's happened. As you think, Ford, the next 24 months to three to five years about the future of work, what are your predictions about how work is evolving and what will that mean for Breather? So, I, you know, it's interesting. You, you, I think you have to think about this current crisis um, in, in the short term and in the long term, especially when it comes to commercial real estate, because real estate tends to be very long term in nature. And so I sort of I define short term as the period of time that we're going to be in the next several months during which we're, we're living with COVID before we've gotten a vaccine for it or before we've uh, develop the herd immunity, whichever comes first, we're going to be living with COVID. So the way that we're thinking about that, uh, we've actually created a get back to work uh, task force where we're reimagining our product and what it needs to do to help our customers get back to work um, as quickly as possible and as safely as possible. And so there's three elements there that we think a lot about. One is architecturally, the second is from an equipment perspective, and the third is operationally. So for example, from a architectural perspective, helping to create offices that uh, support and encourage social distancing from an equipment perspective, more advanced AV systems, uh, hand sanitizing stations, even signage to help people navigate around the office uh, to maintain that social distance. So that's sort of the short term, right? And then it's really important that you have this long-term perspective because once again, you know, it's at some point, we're going to defeat this this virus in one way or the other, and so it's really careful that um, that you don't overshoot, especially on the capital side. So, for example, you know, you might say we're going to in we're going to develop a COVID-free office, right? That's going to have uh, you know significant capital investment and be designed to to be this type of environment where it really uh, mitigates the effect of, of COVID. Well, that might be great for the next 24 months. But in five years, that office is going to feel pretty dated and pretty ineffective. So that's that's the balance in commercial real estate that you have to you have to you have to strike. What are your predictions, being somebody who's truly on the forefront of thinking about how we work and how that evolves, um, knowing that we've all been sitting in our homes, uh, and you know there's a lot of positivity that's come out of that. I think we're finding a lot of efficiencies from the, the lack of commutes and the, the, the ability, you know, even just to commute around the city to meetings, the fact that you can do things over video. How do you think that that could actually strengthen Breather in the future? Sure. So I think clearly that uh, this crisis is going to accelerate an already pretty dramatic transformation that's happening in commercial real estate today, right? So currently about 2% of the office market is flexible. 
And most industry professionals will tell you that over the next 10 years, that, that, that number will grow to about 20% or so. And I think that what many companies are realizing, to, to your point, um, is that telecommuting um, is something that works. Um, and I think you'll see that um, that, that continue, continue to accelerate. I could see um, up to a third of workers uh, who would begin to telecommute regularly. Um, and you'll see companies that I think will also begin to leverage this new type of uh, communication technology to split up their offices into smaller offices that reduce commuting and spread those offices around, uh, around the world. So as they do that, right, so there's this, you know, we're here in the New York area, many people have a commute of an hour, hour and a half, Tokyo, same thing. The major urban areas of these are really great um, for a lot of things for business, but they have terrible commute. I think you'll see more of these companies begin to split up these offices and in a goal of reducing commuting and making them more flexible. So I, think that you, I think that you'll see, uh, I, I think you'll see that over 20% of commercial real estate will be serviced office on flexible terms within the next 10 years. And that's exactly what we do today. And, and we're, we're working very aggressively with our over 16,000 customers to help build out solutions for them for this new future. Got it. Yeah, it, it's amazing. So I think to repeat that back to you, 2% flexible for commercial real estate heading towards 20%. Any other points that you would add that you think are real predictions around the future of work and, and physical space? You know, it's really interesting. Every crisis that I've ever been in has caused disruptive services to accelerate. So I remember back, you know, after 9-11, um, e-commerce really took off after that. The Great Recession 2008-9 really drove software as a service and cloud-based services, right? So companies were looking to save money and get more flexibility, and that was a great driver of that. And for sure, I mean, this this crisis is so much about physical space, right, that it's going to dramatically accelerate flexible office as a natural result, right? So we're we're going to not want to travel as much. We're going to commute less do more telecommuting, companies are going to need smaller offices in more locations, and they're going to want them on flexible terms. So now I want to just transition back to a little bit uh, around what Breather does and what the customer experience for a Breather user is and how you guys think about, about making your Breather customers happy. So I would just love like a deep dive on how do you make your, your Breather users happy? The way we think about our customers is is providing them with a private and productive workspace that they love, and we measure that in uh, we measure that um, using MPS and customer satisfaction. So today we have a an MPS that's in the 70s, and that's world class, and a 95% customer satisfaction rate, which once again is world class. And how we do that is by constantly learning from our customers what they like and what they don't like. And we've got the benefit of having built out over 500 workspaces around the world. And from that, we develop best practices. Um, and the keys to this, once again, are architectural equipment uh, and operational. So from an architectural perspective, we make sure that our spaces are have enough uh, open seating to be collaborative and effective with enough private or closed meeting space um, to be, once again, effective, as well as 
open seating areas where people can get together and informally collaborate. That ratio is one that we've developed over the past few years. I think we've really dialed it in. We see that in our MPS uh, scores. The, the second part of architectural is design, right? So if you've been in our spaces, you know they've got a certain look and feel. And once again, we've, we've honed that over the years. It's a, it's a modern, um, sort of clean, aesthetic look um, that people really appreciate. We, we actually surveyed and we found that um, over 75% of people under the age of 35, for example, strongly considered um, whether or not to take a job based on the design of the breeder office. So we know people like the way they look and we carry that brand and design uh, aesthetic consistently across our 500 spaces. So whether you're in London or in Chicago, you know you're gonna have a great experience. And then finally, on the operational perspective, customer support's key. We offer 24 seven customer support. Uh, we offer dedicated account managers and we have a highly trained and uh, motivated operational team that does the cleaning and maintenance of these spaces. So it's really the, the intersection of those, of those things that make that great breather experience. Yes, and I will say as a again as a customer in the past, I uh, I had you know emails that I'd send in late at night, and I was always surprised to get really quick responses. So I can I can attest to that. Um, Breather expanded really quickly into ten markets uh, globally. Uh, how do you guys think about identifying a new market? Uh, is it focused on your biggest cities where flexible work um, is becoming? Uh, you know, is is kind of bleeding edge, or is there a different way you think? And again, the company was founded in Toronto, but you're headquartered in New York. So how do you think about what cities that you want to keep bringing breathers to? Well, there, there's a few characteristics of the cities that we're in. We like uh, large, dense cities like London, like New York, San Francisco, Toronto, et cetera. So those are major hubs for us. Um, once we get into a market, um, we feel like we've got some of the best geospatial data. It's really a data-driven data decision for us. And I'll, I'll describe what that means a little bit. So uh, if you look at this, take, take the city of, uh, of New York for a second. We have 170 locations in Manhattan and in Brooklyn. Um, each one of those is a data point for us. And what they tell us is they tell us exactly where we should be placing locations, what size, uh, we should make those locations, and they also, also gives us the ability to dynamically price those locations. So the end result is that um, we have the we're, our, our breather locations are in the right submarkets, they're the right size for the type of customer that wants them, and we're able to provide very attractive prices. As a result, uh, our office, our flexible office business, grew 200% over 200% last year. And remarkably, we sell 95% of our new spaces within 30 days of launch, which is a really remarkable uh, statistic when you consider some, um, you know, some of our other competition like WeWork that has millions and millions of square feet that are unoccupied. Got it. That's really, really helpful. Um, last, just big question I want to really think about uh, and kind of get your 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 thoughts on as you think about the competitors to breathers. Uh, and as you think about your go forward strategy, who do you really view as your your most kind of I would say critical competitors? And then um, how do you think they're different? I think you know obviously the the eight hundred pound gorilla in the room is is WeWork. You know they've they've had their share of struggles. Uh, you know they've been widely uh, placed in the press. But you know listen, they have a good team over there and they know what they're doing. So I view them as being a, a significant competitor. 
But I do feel like what we do is different. They're focused on co-working, whereas we're, we're focused on providing private flexible office to, to companies. So for example, the average size lease in just about any major market is around 38 to 4,000 square feet. That surprises a lot, of, a lot of people. I think a lot of people would think that it's much larger than that, but that's the average size deal. So what Breather does is that we specialize in the sub 10,000 square foot market. Uh, and that's actually where the largest um, quantity of transactions are. That's where there's the most activity. Um, and so by doing that, we're able to turn our spaces a lot faster. We're, we're catering to the highest uh, percentage of needs of the customers. And I think we're a little unique in being able to do that because we came out of the meeting space and we've got this incredible technology for managing all these locations. We're able to do something that a lot of companies would never want to touch, which is that sub 10,000 square foot market because it's too many people consider it to be too small and too tricky to manage operationally. That's actually our wheelhouse, and that's actually where the market is. So I think that's one of the things that, that helps us be successful, even though we're facing some pretty tough competition. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on, for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carta knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suite helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. So now I want to transition, Brian, to just you as a, a serial entrepreneur. Again, um, super successful founder in the past, sold your business. And do you mind just giving everyone the kind of high-level points from your, your prior exit, uh, when you sold it, uh, whatever you can disclose about the exit, and, and what you felt like you learned with that sale? <laughs> yeah, good question. Um, while I was super excited to have been able to build such a successful company and then have it have such a great outcome. I, I love the idea of bringing WHI into eBay, which uh, was a really great outcome for the investors and for the employees. Um, that organization is still alive and well today, WHI Solutions. It's part of uh, eBay Inc. And it's killing it. So <laughs> I may have sold too early. I don't know. It's, it's doing very, very well. So I'm, I'm glad to see that, that, that they are doing as well. But, um, you know, we launched that from a cocktail napkin. Um, my, my, my partner and I, uh, really my best friend Gus and I, were, uh, were sitting on a stone wall at his wedding and came up with this idea, uh, literally on a cocktail, cocktail napkin, and we launched that business from, from scratch and had a great outcome. So I'm glad to have been able to do that, and it's led to so many, so many other great opportunities in my life to do other things too. So, you know, it's funny. You, you kind of, I think the honest answer that I give you is that it's always a little bit of a mixed bag. I'm glad to have such a, a successful outcome. And uh, also, I miss that business. I miss the people today, and it's doing extremely well. Well, that's wonderful, and I so appreciate just like the the raw and honest answer. Um, so, Brian, going from being a super successful founder and then uh, sale to to eBay, and then stepping in as CEO of Breather, where do you feel like you have an advantage? Where are you cautious? 
um, you know, you've done it, you've done it before. And I think that there's so few people that have been able to um, be truly a serial CEO. So how do you think about that? You know, I, tell you, I, I actually attribute a lot of that flexibility to my experience at eBay. Um, you know, after eBay bought WHI, I, I went in and I was, uh, uh, um, you know, responsible for, for managing WHI. And then um, I was able to, um, to, I picked up eBay Motors, which is a billion dollar business for eBay. And then by the time I left, I was running uh, just about all the verticals in, um, in North America, which included fashion, um, business and industrials, consumer electronics, daily deals, et cetera. And it was there that I had to develop a framework for running so many different types of businesses. And, and it was really there that I learned that I was kind of the Pareto principle, right? Regardless of what you're doing, what products you're selling, 80% of it is the same, right? It's the same function. And then 20% of it is specific to that market. And I think it's really that framework for thinking about uh, products and markets um, that's enabled me to move on from there and to do other things. So looking to understand, I think the key is, Understanding, okay, what are the, what are the fundamentals of this business that I need to provide, and then what's the twenty percent that makes it totally unique to any other business? Once you have that, then you've got this framework you can that you can follow. Brian, I just want to quickly pause there because I think that um, that was the first time I've ever heard a CEO really say that, which is you figure out the framework uh, and then the twenty percent that really makes your business different or special or unique. So effectively, you uh, t tell us a little bit more. I think that that's a really powerful way to think about how you can be different. And it sounds like a, f a, a pretty focused way to see kind of what's routine and what's special. So can you just elaborate a bit more? Yeah. So the first thing you have to understand is, is um, actually Christopher Payne, uh, who now is the CEO of DoorDash, uh, really drilled this into my head while I was at eBay. We'd go in and do these big presentations to him, and he would kick us out within 10 minutes in the beginning. It was actually not funny at the time, but it is funny now. But his, his mantra was understanding the customer. What, what does the customer want and need? So many times when you're in business, you're sitting in your office with your colleagues, and you're thinking about your business. The trick is you can't think about your business. You have to think about your customer's business or what the customer wants. And then, then you use that to inform everything that you do, right? So starting with the customer, what, are you, what, are, what problem is the customer trying to solve? And then you go about crafting your product or service to meet those needs. And so I think about that in terms of selection, right? So what's our, what are we offering? What's our selection, right? And then price is important too, okay? What's the competition doing? Or what's the relative value proposition? Making sure that, okay, I've got this widget now or this service that we're gonna provide that meets the customer's needs. But if there's not a return on investment, there's not an ROI from that customer, they're never going to buy it. So you have to make sure then that you're able to offer uh, that, that widget or that product or service with a, with a, with a valuable ROI to the customer. Uh, and, then, and then it's got to be, then there's got to be positive unit economics, right? So, okay, great. We've done this. Now the customer gets value. Do we get value? You know, can we create a process or a system here that, that allows for positive unit economics, which many people miss the boat on. That's another, each one of these things is kind of like a, there's a trap door in each one of these levels that you, businesses or ideas can fall through and then they're done. Uh, and then once you, if you, if you can get all those things lined up, then you build your team, you build your operating plan, 
um, and, uh, and and away you go and you, you've got a business. But you have to think about those things, each one of those things, and make sure that um, there's not a trap door that your business, your idea will fall through. Got it. I, I, I love that. Um, and I, I want to just add on this question, which is, I, again, just given that you're really a serial entrepreneur here, um, how do you feel like your leadership style has really evolved? And what do you what do you think are the critical tenets for you? Um, if you had to make your own rule book for everybody listening, what are you, the critical tenets of leadership that you think are vital? I'm very, very critical of myself as a leader um, and working every day to get better. And I think that's really the key is you got you have to adopt that mindset that every day is another day and you got to work harder to get better. Um, at it. And what I would say is that the kind of the key point that I've been evolving to is learning to be in service of my team. Um, and so I, one of the things I've been fortunate enough to do is a bit breather. I've, I've put together really an amazing leadership team, um, worked hard to recruit really talented, experienced people in. And then the way I view my job is to uh, is to be in service to their to help helping them reach their goals. So we together develop our mission, then we together develop our operating plan, and then my job then at that point is to be in service to helping them achieve those goals. Now at the same time, it's really important the buck stops at my desk because one of the most important things that you do as a leader is you have to be the decision maker. Um, and at the end of the day, probably 90% of stuff goes by without you needing to get involved. Um, but when it comes to your desk and there's a challenge that needs to be solved and people are looking for a decision, you have to make it. And that's, uh, and that's, that's that tension that, that I try and balance is, okay, letting people, giving people room to, show, to, to do what they do and not getting in their way and supporting the goals. And then when they need it, making a decision. Got it, I, I, I love that. Um, what would you say is the biggest thing that you you evolved on or that you had personal growth around over the last decade, knowing that, you know, for the 20-year-old entrepreneurs out there listening to this podcast, the tens of thousands of them, um, knowing that you have to keep get, getting better as a leader and it is a muscle you get better at. One, just like, what did you have to evolve on or what did you do to get better yourself? Um, and then just any tips you have for people. Sure. I think it kind of goes back to the, the idea of the customer, right? So I think about, I think a lot about what the customer wants. We talk to the customer, we survey the customer, we really understand what they want. Do the same thing with your team. We, we rely pretty heavily on doing surveys with our team, doing 360s, et cetera, and getting that feedback from the team. And they'll tell you what you're doing well and what you're doing poorly if you have an honest and open and trusting relationship. And then the trick is to take that information and use it to, uh, to, to shape your, yourself as a, as a leader. So I think that probably one of the most important things are the two, the, the two things that I, would, um, that I would really focus on as a young leader is making sure that you're thinking about yourself um, and being in service to your team. Number two is, uh, and a big part of that, once again, is you know, providing that leadership. Right, making those decisions when you have to, and, and being clear about it. Um, and thirdly, taking that feedback, um, getting the feedback, and under, and then modifying your behavior based on it. It's it's really important. And you know, it, it sounds easy, but it's it's a lot harder to to do than it sounds. Yeah, no, I I, I hear you loud and clear on that. Um, okay, I want to just quickly go. I uh, when you think about breather's trajectory in the in the future. 
Um, what is the thing that gets you most excited? Uh, just as, as somebody at the helm of running the company through, by the way, an unprecedented reset, global recession, depression, whatever this ends up becoming, um, but truly at, at a wild moment, what is the bright spot for you as you think about Breather in the future? I think when I look at the, the transition that we made really in earnest last year, which was to you know, focus on flexible private office, getting our size right, you know, getting kind of coming in, uh, making sure that we're building out these spaces uh, in the right size um, with the right ratio of design or with the right design, providing the right level of service. We saw that when we built these spaces, we could sell them. You know, once again, 95% sell through within 30 days of launch. That's incredible. So now our business is, a, is just about growth, right? So now we've got this, um, recipe, right? We've got this product we know our customers want. We've listened to them. We're producing it now. The team is trained. They know what to do. And now it's all about just scaling that up. And, you know, obviously the, the COVID thing, um, we, you know, we're crushing it in 2020 on our, on our plan, had our plan, and then this happened. So as a leader, how do you, how do you manage that? Well, it's tough. I will tell you that to go from a growth-minded CEO to within five days, completely turn your head around and completely turn your teams around to become survival-minded is really difficult, you know, mentally and emotionally. But that's what had to be done. And I think that's what good entrepreneurs, good entrepreneurs, successful entrepreneurs, figure out really quickly what they need to do and then do what's the hardest part, because most are pretty smart, is actually do it. And uh, fortunately, once again, I've got a great team around me um, that helped me. We helped each other, came to that conclusion, and we made that shift from go, go, go to, holy smokes, we've got a major crisis here. We've got to go into survival mode so we can get through the other, so we can cross the chasm to the other side. And put ourselves in a position that when the other side comes, and it will, uh, that we're going to be successful. And um, you know that's that's a that's a that's a that's a, that's a painful transition event. Yeah, I really like something you just said, which is, you know, for really successful founders, it's not just do you need to get really 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 clear on what has to happen, but then you have to go do it, and it's actually about taking pretty swift action. I want to quickly kind of wrap on a few things. Uh, you clearly are a tremendous leader. You're thoughtful, you're humble, you grow, um, you've seen tremendous success, you've done it again, you're back in the trenches. When you think about hiring, what is your best interview question that you feel like really gets to the nugget of who somebody is and uh, kind of tells you whether or not they would be good for your team? I'm looking for someone that's really passionate either about breather or something they've done in the past, you know, someone that's done their homework and and, and really need there. The second thing I look for is, and I just asked them, I said, tell me about how you, how you manage your team. Talk to me about what, what, do, you, what do you do and what KPI, what are your most important KPIs? And whether they're a customer experience person or a salesperson or a marketing person or an HR person, I would tell you one thing, if they can't tell me, if they can't rattle off uh, their most important KPIs or their, how they manage and operate their team on a day-in-day day out basis. I love it. Um, so last question here, Brian, if you're going to pay it forward to one 
other idea that's out there that's not breather, one other startup, it can be super early, it can be medium sized that you love or that you're really excited about or that you think is going to be a big home run in the future. What is that startup? Well, I got to plug one of my own. I'm on the board of, uh, of a company here in New York City called With Clarity. Uh, and they were named uh, number 18 in Inc. fastest growing companies in America. And uh, With Clarity is, uh, is a is a better way to shop for diamond engagement rings. They have high quality, conflict-free natural and lab diamonds with direct consumer pricing and offer a unique free in-home trial, kind of like Warby's. Um, and I love the job that Anub is, is doing over there with that company, just growing it like crazy, really paying attention to the customer and, and sort of and offering a better mousetrap uh, for, uh, for consumers. Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. Everybody out there, if you want to learn more about Breather, check out breather.com and join us next week for Inc.'s Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel.